So we were uh, we were just commencing prior to hitting record about the uh, about the office and about episodes of the office. And uh, I was sharing with some someone recently, Ronnie, that um, during one of the early things that my family and I did during lockdown was uh, I made my kids take a Myers-Briggs test and uh, and then uh, one of the exercises after getting their Myers-Briggs I uh, I then begin to show them how their their personality aligns with uh, personalities from various movies or character sets etc and the office was a really fun one uh, just in terms of the way that my family and we all lined out so uh, so my personality uh, matches Jim Halpert. Uh, my wife's personality lines up with Jan, uh, which she doesn't like for me to share. Uh, but that's because she's very much like Jan. And, Hopefully she's not listening today. So, all right. <laughs> no, she's not. No. Uh, and then my kids, uh, my son lines up as Dwight and my daughter lines up as Michael. And it was just so interesting, like, especially the relationship between Dwight and Michael, and then seeing that best of friends, worst of any enemies relationship uh, line up with my kids. Quite fascinating. Quite fascinating. That's got to be a, a dynamic household you've got going on there. <laughs> we uh, we all are in the E category. There are no introverts in the, in the McCord household, that's for sure. So. I'm actually fast forwarding to the therapy session where the kids are talking about the fact that dad made the big Myers Briggs and then compared them to the office characters. Yeah, yeah. When they were in fourth and sixth grade. Yeah, that, yeah, that's 100%. Yeah. He told yeah, me that's I was be white. A good story. We'll file, we'll file that away. Uh, welcome to Group Thinkers, where we force people to take Myers Briggs in real time. Uh, no, this is the podcast from RKD Group, and on each and every episode, we welcome someone from the nonprofit space to um, shed some light on the way that they think about things, and uh, we kind of learn through things together, and uh, very excited today uh, to welcome Kelly Hecht. Kelly, good to see you. You as well. Long overdue, my friend. <laughs> Long overdue. Um, if you had to guess which office character you would kind of line up with where would that where would where would that be that's a hard one um i think i i think i bring an essence of each on a given day or a given chapter in my life which maybe brings other adjectives to mind for me but i'm not sure that i align directly with one yeah is that a is that a like cop-out answer yeah but it's okay it's fine and I think that that's I think that that's accurate. That obviously, depending on the uh, the environment that you're in, your personality can take on different traits, right? You can minimize things or or maximize different aspects of it. I don't know. I think by the end of the episode, Ronnie's going to know. There we go. You got you guys can tell me at the end of this conversation where you're putting me, but I would like it to be at this chapter of my career. I don't want it to be like. Who I am, period, full stop. Okay, give me a little flex. <laughs> Just for right now. Thank you. Just Thank right you. Now. So Kelly is the team lead uh, for the industry advisors on the nonprofit side at Amazon Web Services. And uh and you know, Kelly, to to your comment earlier, just kind of the hey, it's about time 
um, like it's, it's good to get to do this. It's because we've been in uh, in circles kind of across the room from each other forever and, and known of each other forever. And and so it's great to be able to have a conversation with you and learn about your path and learn from the people who have shaped you along the way. So that's our point today. That's our purpose. And so just kind of want to dive right in uh, and and ask you, what one word would you use to describe leadership? Leadership in general um, or my leadership? Uh, leadership in general. Good leadership. Yeah. In fact, not necessarily poor leadership. Um. I think good leadership is um, is flexible and is present for the various moments that it has the opportunity to help shape and guide. Um, yeah, those are the two words that come to me when I when I think of leadership because it's a it's a complicated thing to be a leader and it's a more complicated thing to be led. Um, and so I think both of those terms feel really essential to doing it well. I love those words, flexible and present. When you and I were chatting uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, you talked about your experience of working remote uh, well before the you know, the world went remote, and uh, and so share a little bit of that path. You know, and uh, and and then what that um, how that experience has maybe reinforced flexibility and being present in your role now. Yeah, it was um, an unexpected path. So I, I started my nonprofit career at the American Cancer Society in Manhattan um, at the regional level, and I was in the office for a year. And um, and as that role evolved and as other roles followed, I was never interested or able to geographically relocate in order to accommodate the role that I was taking. And, you know, keep in mind, this was like the early 2000s, late 90s. So this was long before we had any of the tools and resources and the sort of culture that we do today around engaging digitally and remotely. But I was fortunate enough to have leaders that were flexible and that allowed me at numerous jobs and numerous organizations to work remotely. I think it taught it taught me a lot, much of which I find to be even more helpful today. I would say the first thing that it really showed me was that boundaries are super important and are yours to create. Um, and I'm not sure that I today think that's specific to remote working, but I think it's exaggerated with remote working. And I think in the world that we are in right this minute, where we all went remote and now some are back and some aren't, and it's sort of a little bit more diverse and complicated, um, boundaries are a really healthy thing to have and to find and to share with people what your boundaries are so that they know. And with boundaries comes ownership and responsibility. And so I would say the thing I learned early on in working remotely was that um, there was really no room or role for being a victim. If I couldn't hear something, if I didn't know something, if I wasn't invited to something, I, I was remote. That was my choice to live where I lived. And so I pretty quickly let go of um, any sense of um, it being someone else's responsibility to include me 
And over the course of time, I learned to find ways to proactively engage, connect, make sure that I was set up for an experience in the way that I wanted, which sometimes meant getting on a plane and going where I needed to be. And in other cases, it meant working with someone in advance of the meeting. Um, So I learned that pretty profoundly quickly early on. And I think today it still holds really true and now is something that um, others are joining me in learning as well. Um, But it's true whether you're in the office or not in the office, right? It's just helpful to to sort of have your boundaries and to own them for yourself. Kelly, do you feel like the attitude, I guess, around remote work has changed from, you know, you, you got to experience it before uh, the pandemic and having talked to other people who worked remotely, they did, they did feel kind of isolated and not part of the gang, you know, kind of thing. Do you feel like there have been efforts? Has it changed the, the way people treat remote employees and the way people try to be more inclusive of them? I think probably yes. And, you know, the first thing that I think changed was an openness by leaders to recognize that people can be incredibly productive and valuable and skilled from a remote environment. Yeah. And um, while there is so much trauma in COVID and in the last few years, there are some silver linings. And one of them is, I think, leaders are open to finally picking the right person for the right job as opposed to the right person for the right job who lives where I need them to live. <laughs> um, and and so I, I think that's the first really important change that took place. Within that, I also think there was an awakening to, um, you know, this sort of, it used to be put out as a joke, but there's an ounce of truth in every joke, right? That people were sitting at home in their pajamas and, you know, watching TV and not working. Like that was never the reality of a remote employee for me in the 90s. And by the way, if that's how you work, you work that way in the office probably too. So I'm not so sure remote's the the variable there. Um, so I, I think both of those things were healthy for the, for the, for the culture of business and the culture of our professional environment. As it relates to the inclusivity of it, um, I don't know about that one, to be really honest. I mean, I I certainly think people now appreciate what it's like to be remote. I think there's an awareness to it now that there haven't been. I am a little bit um, of people have have sort of joked that it's funny that I'm the one that says this. I'm not sure that the 100% remote environment is sustainable or healthy. Um, I really do think being in physical presence with one another is important. It's important for certain types of thinking and collaboration. Um, it's important for building trust and and rapport and respect for one another. Um, I think there's a real mental health piece of it as well that, you know, I can hide a lot by just living in this box that I can't hide as well when I'm coming to the office on a regular basis. Am I sad? Am I stressed? Am I happy? Am I excited? You know, so um, I hope that we won't swing a pendulum too far in the other direction, right? I hope we'll find some of that balance because it's shown us that we were we were too stringent over here, right? There needs to be some flexibility. And I do think there's value in being together. So um, here's, to, here's to a new challenge for leadership to find what that looks like for your organization and for your staffing blend. Yeah, I agree with so much that you said there. And I think that the key, I believe that the key in a lot of it is empowerment. And so, you know, being an effective remote employee 
comes from, yes, establishing boundaries, but also empowering someone to establish those boundaries and, and right. setting the right expectation. And then likewise, uh, you know, the there's something about the the value like you said of being in a physical space together the members of our team met yesterday in one of our office locations to work on a project together but there's there's something that makes that special that you want to continue to foster but still empower them to be productive and effective as a part of that so um i think that that's that's true and i'm so curious to see how we're going to um how over time we will rightly correct back to what that looks like. So from American- See, one more, one more thing, Justin, before uh, I forget, because um, this wasn't my idea and I feel badly that I can't remember who the smart person was who said it to me, but there was another takeaway that I found really interesting. So being remote, I didn't experience this, but they pointed out that for most professionals, they grew up in a physical office environment. And they talked about how much learning young leaders get from observing the way people engage in an office environment. And they were sharing this real concern about what does that look like in in a remote environment? And I thought that's so interesting because that's a blind spot for me, having always been remote. I learned a little bit that way, but for a very short period of time, right? But the majority of leaders who are leading today learned from a lot of, for lack of a better word, osmosis of living in an office. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in because while that isn't my experience, it does strike me as a really astute observation for one of the reasons to find some blend of in and out. And it, it really challenges leaders to be even that much more intentional mm-hmm. with, uh, with new, you know, employees, whether or not that's someone at an entry level or even at a senior level. Great point. After after nine years on the client side, uh, you then left and went to the agency space. So I don't know which is the, you know, the dark side and the light side. You know, sometimes we'll talk about joining the agency side as the dark side. Sometimes talk about, you know, going to the client side yeah. the dark side. Uh, but I'm I'm so curious about that uh, not just that decision in that chapter. I'm curious about what you found uh, that was unexpected about moving into the agency side and then what you actually found was kind of what you were expecting when you think about the the lessons and your time from ACS to pursue it. Yeah. I mean, I think in short, I was so naive in that particular moment, despite the fact that anyone who knew me then would tell you that I thought I knew quite a lot. I was pretty sure at that sad juncture of my career that I was the smartest person in the room, as humbling as it is to admit that. And I was not. <laughs> to be very blunt. Um, I I was very fortunate in that I had worked with a leader um, who was a, a vendor partner to me when I was at American Cancer Society, who um, really saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And he invested in me and sort of invited me onto the agency side. And um, and I remember feeling incredibly honored and excited and nervous and scared, yeah, to, to make that jump. But I don't know that in the moment I knew exactly what all those feelings were rooted in. 
I, I did know that it was something that I was dedicated to doing well and um, and committed to, and I'm forever grateful to him for that opportunity. Um, I think the thing that was really interesting when I look back, I wouldn't call either the dark or the light side. They both have sun and they both have clouds. Um, the being on the agency side offered a breadth of exposure that is just profoundly interesting um, to be able to work across that many missions, to work with incredibly diverse leaders um, in both their backgrounds and their styles and their visions and their natural gifts versus learned gifts. I mean, I was there for 11 years and and we worked with churches and we worked with hospitals and everything in between. And so really getting a sense of where there was commonality in all of that diversity and where there was really distinction, um, I think was one of the unexpected but truly extraordinary um, gifts that those 11 years gave me. And I learned so much from each of those interactions. And yet I will say I don't think any of my agency time would have been as valuable had I not already spent 10 years on the client or organization side. And my journey from dark to light or light to dark, depending on how you talk about it, started there because I started at a chapter of American Cancer Society and then went to national. And if anyone on the podcast today is from an affiliate organization, they know that there's a lot of tension between chapters and the national home offices. So having spent 10 years there was sort of a necessary for me, at least prerequisite to being able to value and embrace all that then the 11 years on the agency side exposed me to. You mentioned uh, a mentor or leader who saw something in you that brought you into that space. Um, as you think about your career, both on the dark and light side, we won't specify which, um, which, uh, who's kind of stood out to you as, you know, someone who has just been like a mentor or somebody that that's really taught you things and kind of just elevated your career in a way. Um, so many, um, the should go without saying, I mean, um, I like to believe that, I am present enough in my interactions to be different for each one of them, right? Each person, each conversation sort of has a little a little thumbprint on the way that I show up the next day. For me, it really started with my first leader. Uh, her name is Karen, Karen Barkowski, now Karen Kennedy. She took an incredible risk on me. I, I was a couple of years out of college. I had been working in the for-profit um, sector with a startup and um and i quit my job and took a year traveling in europe and when i came back i knew very specifically that i wanted to work for the american cancer society and i went through an interview process um for a role that i ended up pulling my name out of because it wasn't the right role for me but during the interview process i karen had been one of the people that i had interviewed with and i called her after and said um I, if you ever had a job I would love to work for you. And the, she said, the only job I have, you're, you're overqualified for. It is a temporary employee for the summer to make cold calls to strangers to sign people up to walk in the making strides against breast cancer walk. It pays minimum wage. 
and I can only guarantee you a job for seven weeks. And I said, I'll take it. Um, and it was one of the most humbling roles I've ever had. Um, but she, you know, she didn't close the door on me because I was quote unquote overqualified and she didn't close the door on me for anything else. She just created a path and allowed me to make it my own. Um, so I'm forever grateful to her. Um, I'm still in touch with her and I now worked for her a couple of times. Um, and then from that role, I got exposed to two more leaders uh, that were in a different role in American Cancer Society, um, Lisa and uh, Chris. And the two of them also saw something in me and invested. So I think you're seeing the theme, right? Like leaders who looked beyond the surface and um, and started to invest with me. What's interesting is that I look at those experiences at the beginning and the sort of foundation of my professional development. When I think more broadly about my entire journey, it's actually really more my customer interactions, interactions with people I've hired over the years. I find that I learned a lot from these guys early on as mentors and leaders. And now I learn so much from you know, I, I worked deeply with JDRF for years and worked with extraordinary leaders in that org. Um, Cleveland Clinic, a woman named Laura, just like forever changed the way I think about leadership. And, you know, a, an ops guy that I worked with at Pursuant, Gary, um, you know, totally different mindsets than me and really significant influence in how I wanted to show up in my leadership as a professional in the world. So lots and lots and lots of extraordinary people I've been exposed to. Ronnie, I can't help but think about one of our recent conversations with uh, Meg Lestove, uh, one of the co-writers of Inside Out. And we were talking, Kelly, about storytelling and the power of storytelling. And she said this thing, uh, you know, she made this reference to The Wizard of Oz that, uh, that within a great story that you have to have a path that the Wizard of Oz isn't the Wizard of Oz without the Yellow Brick Road. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what I love about what you're saying, and, and maybe I've just got the Wizard of Oz stuck in my brain, is that there's the there's the Glinda as the mentor, maybe, you know, that uh, plays a part in the beginning of Dorothy's journey, but it's actually the people that she's with as she's walking that yeah. have just as big of an influence. And so uh, I really appreciate you framing it that way uh, in terms of the people who have had an influence that are those around you as you walk through yep. uh, and have walked through this journey. Yeah. And being aware of and open to leadership, not being hierarchical, mm -hmm. um, but being a way that you show up in a room or in a conversation or in a, a challenge. Um, and I think that was never explicitly said to me, but was always modeled for me by leaders that I respected. Um, and so I think keeping your eyes and ears open for leadership to be all around you really has has helped me in shaping not just who I've become as a leader, but candidly shape my career path. And and whenever I hit moments where I was thinking about the next step in my career, either inside an organization or moving between organizations. I always tapped into that full community of leaders that were at varying levels of their career, varying levels within their organizations. And I have always found the richness of that mm -hmm. to be something that um, that I'm better for. 
So let's talk about how that has shaped you in your new role. Yeah. Uh, and and so after a decade plus at Pursuant, uh, where you were a very influential and instrumental leader, both uh, to colleagues that we have now uh, from some of our, our shared contacts and, you know, to 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 nonprofit organizations, uh, you shifted and moved to a little startup uh, in, uh, well, in the last company. Yeah, a little, small little tech company. Uh, and so I'm curious about like you shared so many different aspects that that could play a role now. But in your role now, what do you think? What do you draw from your experiences that help you lead in, in your role now at uh, AWS? Again, cliche, all of them. <laughs> um, c- certainly some stand out more than others, you know. Um, it was surprising to many, myself included, that I went to work for the tech company that I went to work for uh, because I'm not known for being particularly technical. In fact, I'm often made fun of for printing things in large quantities. And also because I've really always worked for smaller teams and companies. I mean, even though American Cancer Society was huge. I was always sort of within a niche within a larger company. So this was a big stretch on both of those sides for me. And I came into it with an open mind and an open heart and sort of ready to embrace whatever it ended up being, right? Which um, almost a year in today is actually the year anniversary of my interview. Um, All right. I almost a year in, I um, I'm could not be more grateful for where I am and, and what it is. But to answer your actual question, um, when I started it, uh, at AWS for nonprofits, they had um, at Amazon something called leadership principles, publicly available, worth Googling, worth reading. Um, One of their core leadership principles is learn and be curious. And I would say that um, that is something that I learned a little bit later in my career. I would say I was probably halfway through my journey at Pursuant when I really fully embraced how incredibly powerful a leadership tool it is to enter into your work with a learn and be curious mindset. And I would say it is probably the one I have had to lean on most fully in the last year as I have been learning uh, like from 20 fire hoses at once, (laughs) not just one. But I think that that is also how we bring out the best in each other as leaders in um to lead, learn to be curious to me leaves room for everyone to share their strengths and to shine and to bring something to the conversation, which inevitably makes it richer. And so I try to really ground myself in my leadership in that, in my customer experiences with that, in the way that I approach the world, because I find that it it's what keeps the openness to make room for everyone and when everyone is is participating and present that's where the really good work comes um so i would say that learn and be curious piece which again i learned later um is probably what i pull on the most frequently in in my career role for those who are looking to learn and be curious um kelly aws has the imagine event coming up yeah can you tell us a little bit about that kind of just you know what what you're going for at the event and and what sort of things people can expect. 
Yeah, uh, the Imagine event is amazing. Um, and if you can be in D.C. on March 14th, um, 2023, do it. It's free and it's got some great speakers and content this year. There's also a lot of content that will follow if you're not able to be there. Um, you know, the, to paraphrase it for how I experience it. So, you know, reminder that I'm not technical. I don't come from an IT background. I did not know what you know, the cloud or a data lake or a Kubernetes was before I started at AWS for nonprofits. Um, but technology is the world we live in. It's no longer a channel. It's no longer just a vehicle. It, it's all around us. And so really the vision of Imagine is to help more nonprofit leaders and all nonprofit leaders from all departments understand technology in a way that allows them to deliver on their mission more fully. So when you think about, you know, IT, that's pretty linear, right? Like, where are you storing your information? How are you securing your information? How are you preventing latency when people need to access something? That tends to be a little bit more prescriptive. But when you get into the world of marketing and fundraising and biz ops, it's not always quite as clear. We are used to using SaaS tools and we're used to using platforms, but the technology behind that is not always something that's um, clear and, and, and obvious to us. So this is really an opportunity to speak in common language um, about the role of technology to, to provide some new um, opportunities to open your mind to the way that you're doing your business um, and explore what might make sense for you because we've all got some pretty ambitious goals that stand before us. Um, and it requires us to continually adapt and learn and grow. And um, and so this is a fun group to do that with. Kelly, it's going to be a really cool event. And uh, and so I know we've got teammates that are looking forward to it and can't wait to see what comes of it. And, uh, and we're so thankful for your time today and uh, for you to set aside time to chat with us, to share some of the lessons that you've learned. You know, it is, it's, uh, it's fun whenever you can take a step back and think about, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the people across the room, the people that you either compete against or, you know, that you are aware of. And uh, when you can sharpen each other and you've certainly done that for us today. And so we're we're super appreciative. Well, and this was really fun for me. I um, not only have I sat across the room from you guys, but I've been um, almost stalking you on on social media and LinkedIn for years. Um, I really appreciate the thinking you bring into this space. And I, I would say um, as, as a sense of gratitude for you both, one of the most important ways to learn and be curious in the world is to continually expose yourself to things that are outside of your day-to-day -day work. Um, and you both through this vehicle um, do an incredible job of that. So thank you for giving us something that's not only um, helpful and informative to listen to, but quite frankly, fun. <laughs> uh, thank you. That is that is incredibly kind. Uh, incredibly kind. Uh, Ron, you have to follow that by delivering on what we talked about earlier. And so what office character do you think Kelly's Myers-Briggs was most likely aligned with? For Kelly? Uh, hmm. See, I thought you were going to ask me about mine because I did look it up as we were <laughs> talking here. Okay, yours. I was quite shocked to that I'm Daryl uh, from Office. Daryl rocks the keyboard from time to time. Yeah. Kel Kelly, I'm gonna go on out on the limb. I think maybe David Wallace. Huh. 
I think maybe David Wallace. I see some some David like qualities. What's uh, the best David Wallace episode for me to rewatch tonight? That the hard one. Yeah, that's a hard you one. Follow up. You can follow up with me after. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't know the the best one, but I do think the his character is oftentimes this unexpected uh pinnacle like within a show like it just like he he is consistent and uh and oftentimes has a vision and puts up with the nonsense around him and you've done that in this conversation uh caused the nonsense though because i've been able to cause some nonsense (laughs) no david wall no he's he's generally kind of the sense of calm around the craziness no, that's not <laughs> that was, yeah, that's a miss. So, well, Kelly, we really do. Um, we're so thankful for your time. We really, really are. Yeah. This is really fun, you guys. Thank you so much. So uh, if you want to check out other episodes, you can find them on arcadegroup.com. You can find them on all the different platforms where podcasts are available. And so with that, we will see you next time. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers. 